Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. A podcast about a Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. On today's episode, we'll start with the latest news around Napoli, Serie A, and Europe. In part two, we'll preview Napoli's Champions League return leg against Barcelona and in part 3, we'll do a player profile on Jose Callejon. We'll start with Napoli, who played their Champions League match against Barcelona on Saturday. Gennaro Gattuso had his pre-match conference on Friday. On the match, he said he knows it will be difficult, they know what kind of team Barcelona is, and the qualities they have. On Lorenzo Insigne, he said he's only trained at 50% on Thursday and Friday. He will check with him on Saturday, and he will only start if he is 100%. He was brutally honest about Lozano. He said nothing has changed, only after the lockdown he did what we said. He has different qualities than the other wingers. If we want to play fast, he is very good at the restart. The problem is not him, but how we want the game to develop. When he was asked who has the advantage, he said this is not football, playing 12 matches with only 3 days in between them. The numbers showed in the last few games that we had much more possession, so Gattuso thinks that Napoli have improved since the first match. On playing behind closed doors, he said football is not the same with no fans and that it would have been different playing in front of 90,000 fans at Camp Nou, which is something that Napoli benefit from. On Barcelona's struggles, he said he thinks that gives them more strength, they are used to winning and that makes them want to win more, Napoli will have to climb Mount Everest on Saturday. On Fabian, he said he still has room for improvement but he is giving a lot, he's an interesting young man and he has a great future ahead of him. Gattuso added that players like Fabian, Zielinski, Elmas, and Lozano, this experience is fundamental to their growth. They must not play with fear but instead must enjoy it because these players will play many such matches in the future. On tactics, Gattuso said in the first leg we hit them with the dribble. They are used to having the ball so this is not comfortable for them. We'll have to focus on this and on when we have the ball and when we don't. On Barca's tactics, he said it doesn't matter if they play a 3 or a 4 man back line. What matters is how they hold the pitch and their rotations because that can cause us trouble. David Ospina spoke to Sky before the conference. He said he feels good about the match. It is a game that anyone would like to play in. They have trained hard and expect a lot on Saturday. 
I'm playing in an empty stadium. He said it will be difficult, especially in a match like this. Napoli have personality and players. They know who they are playing against and will have to do everything right to go through. On Messi, he said he has played him many times with the national team and with Arsenal. We know he's the best in the world and you have to expect anything from him. Ospina also spoke at the press conference. There he said we prepared well this week. We know the value of the match and want to give our best. On the team's growth, he said we have improved both in Serie A and internationally. Gattuso was clear when he arrived. He knows our value and we were able to restart. On Meret, he said we work hard in training and then it's up to the coach to decide who plays, but we have a good relationship. Kostas Manolas gave a long interview to La Repubblica ahead of the Champions League match as well. I'm playing at Camp Nou, he said, it's an imposing stadium, it will make an impression even empty. It is a wide field, ideal for their game. We will have to take measures immediately, stay calm, and listen to Gattuso. He also talked about playing against Barcelona in the Champions League during his time with Roma. He said the last time it ended 4-1 in Barcelona when I was at Roma, but it was a lying result with my own and De Rossi's own goal. We went back to the Olimpico and won 3-0. On his goal, which was the winner, he said it was a crazy, unforgettable emotion, but the semi-final was thanks to the whole team. Roma played 90 minutes superbly, and my goal was the prize for everyone's work. When he was asked how they will stop Messi, he said, as a team, without fear of his talent. In my opinion, he is the number one in the world for football intelligence. Referring to the first leg, he added, Messi did not shine, but they scored the same goal. And with them, it is so. There is not only Messi. Just distract yourself for a moment and they score. Today, I'm optimistic and I'm not afraid. We want to surprise Barcelona. The pressure is on them, but this game is very important to us too. On Suarez, he said, yes, they will have more with Suarez, but we will have Koulibaly. We think about playing our game and not about the opponents. In terms of injuries, he said that he hopes Lorenzo can recover because he is very important for Napoli. And on his own injury, he said he's fine. The pain in his ribs has passed. In other news, Napoli's Primavera squad has been relegated to the Primavera Due. This, in my opinion, is the biggest flaw with Napoli right now. If we really want to sit at the big kid table, we need to make some serious investment in our youth system. The club did say previously that it intends to do just that. After the relegation, Napoli announced the appointment of Aladino Vallotti as sporting director of the Primavera, and then on Friday, ex-Carpi coach Giancarlo Riolfo was appointed as the new manager. Finally, in transfer news, player agent Mario Giuffredi confirmed on Friday that both Mario Rui and Giovanni Di Lorenzo have extended their contracts. Di Lorenzo was not just an extension, but also an adjustment, which presumably means a salary increase. He also spoke highly of De Laurentiis. He said he's often criticized, but there are not too many people willing to discuss a player who already has a four-year contract. He doesn't hold the player back, and he's open to dialogue. Rumors heated up on Jordan Vertu after the player visited Napoli this week and was spotted dining at the same restaurant as Cristiano Giuntoli. Roma, however, deny the speculation, claiming that Vertu is not for sale, especially with the recent sale of the club. Gazzetta dello Sport are reporting that Barcelona are willing to pay 70 million euros for Fabian Ruiz, but De Laurentiis remains firm on 100 million euros. Barcelona can't afford to pay that price, so De Laurentiis has instructed Juntoli to extend Fabian's contract. Earlier in the week, rumors were swirling that Napoli would swap Alex Meret for Torino's Salvatore Sirigu, however the club has declined that. There were also rumors going around that Jose Callejon would sign with Benevento, which I thought was really ridiculous when you think about it. If he wanted to stay in Italy, he would extend and probably retire with Napoli, not go play for their Campanese rivals. 
Il Matino confirmed with the Spaniards' camp that he would like to return to Spain. Multiple Portuguese sources are reporting that Gremio attacker Everton Suarez, who was previously linked to Napoli, is close to signing with Benfica. Another player that Napoli could lose out on is Lille defender Gabriel. Napoli have been negotiating with Lille, but can't pull the trigger until they sell Koulibaly. Apparently, Arsenal and Everton are among the clubs that are interested in Gabriel. Personally, I don't think Napoli are going to get the offer they want for Koulibaly, and therefore will drop out of the race for Gabriel. Moving on to Serie A, on Tuesday there was a federal council meeting to discuss a number of topics, including the start of the 2020-2021 seasons, the schedule, and reopening stadiums. After the meeting, FIGC President Gabriele Gravina commented on these subjects. Regarding starting the new season, he said football as a whole is very concerned about the general situation related to the restart. We are apprehensive about the idea that it will be necessary to act on a system of protocols that will end up becoming absolutely unsustainable, partially for the professionals and totally for the amateurs. On the schedule, he confirmed as we already knew that the new campaign will start on September 19th, and now the council have the task of framing the new calendar, taking into consideration the championship, international club competitions, namely Europa League and Champions League, and national competitions referring to the upcoming European Championship. Finally, on stadiums, he said, At the moment, we are committed to proposing solutions to our governing bodies directly or indirectly through the Technical Scientific Committee. We are confident that we will arrive at the reopening of the stadiums. Thinking about reopening from the first day seems a little optimistic as an idea. At the same meeting, the final Primavera tables were determined using a coefficient. As a result, Atalanta were awarded the Primavera title. Napoli, Kevo, and Pescara were relegated to Primavera Due and Milan, Ascoli, and Spal were promoted to Primavera Uno. In other news, the date and venue of the next Coppa Italia has been set. It will be played on Wednesday, May 19th at the Giuseppe Meazza in Milano. The Stadio Olimpico in Rome is not available as UEFA wants to keep it closed the day before the inaugural match of the European Championship between Italy and Turkey. The two clubs from Rome are both scheduled to play away matches on May 23rd, there's also talk about making changes to the Serie A schedule, which FIGC thinks might be too compressed. They suggest reducing the Coppa Italia round of 16 to a single leg match instead of two legs, as that would allow Serie A to play an additional midweek round. The other alternative that has been discussed is shortening the Christmas break and playing on December 27th. In Serie B, the preliminary round of the promotion playoff was played earlier this week. Kevo played Empoli on Tuesday. This match was all about penalties. Kevo were awarded a penalty in the 56th minute after a VAR review determined that Empoli handled the ball in the box. Empoli keeper Alberto Brignoli made an excellent save on Filip Juricic to keep the score level. In the 87th minute, Empoli were awarded a penalty for a foul in the box. Amato Cicciretti stepped up, but this time Kevo keeper Adrian Semper made an excellent save. So the match went to extra time, tied 0-0. Luca Garitano opened the scoring in the 97th minute by getting a touch on a low cross shot to beat Brignoli. In the 103rd minute, Empoli had a chance to tie the match after being awarded a second penalty, but once again, Semper came up big, this time stopping Andrea Lamantia. Gennaro Tutino equalized for Empoli in the 110th minute, which was the final goal of the match, which ended 1-1. Because Kevo finished higher in the table, they advanced to the semi-finals. The second preliminary match was on Wednesday between Frosinone and Cittadella, Davide Dia opened the scoring in the 5th minute from the penalty spot and just before the break he added a second with a volley. The two goal lead didn't last very long though. 
Frosinone immediately pulled one back after Alessandro Salvi tucked his shot inside the far post. Federico Dionisi equalized in the 51st minute with a beautiful curling shot, though Cittadella keeper Alberto Palleari should have done better. Cittadella were unfortunate to hit the upright twice before the end of regulation, so this one needed extra time as well. Because Cittadella finished higher in the table, Frosinone needed to score to advance. Just when it seemed Frosinone's season had come to an end, Camilo Ciano scored an excellent volley from the top of the box in the final minute to see Frosinone through to the semi-finals. So the semi-finals are set, Spezia will play against Kevo, their first leg is on Saturday, and Pordenone will play Frosinone with their first leg on Sunday. Finally in Europe, Fulham beat Brantford in the most expensive game in football. They won the English Championship playoff 2-1 and as a result have earned promotion to the English Premier League. In European competition on Friday we had the first two Champions League round of 16 second leg matches. We're recording this episode on Friday. The final two matches will be played on Saturday, so we'll recap all four on our next episode. The Europa League round of 16 matches were played this week as well. Inter played Getafe on Wednesday. Getafe started well, but Handanovic made a couple of nice saves to keep the match scoreless. Inter got into a rhythm after that, but Getafe keeper David Soria made a couple of nice saves as well. Romelo Lukaku opened the scoring in the 33rd minute. Alessandro Bastoni played a long ball over the top and Lukaku did the rest. He out-muscled Javier Echiete before firing a low shot past Soria. Hetafe had their chances to equalize. In the 66th minute, Handanovic made another brilliant save. And in the 76th minute, Hetafe were awarded a penalty after a VAR review determined that Diego Godin handled the ball in the box. Jorge Molina took the shot, but missed wide of the goal. Christian Eriksen doubled Inter's lead in the 83rd minute to put this one away. Also on Wednesday, Manchester United came from behind to beat Lask 2-1, so that tie ended 7-1 for Manchester United on aggregate. Shakhtar Donetsk shut out Wolfsburg 3-0, so they advanced with an aggregate score of 5-1. And FC Copenhagen defeated Istanbul Basaksehir 3-0, so they advanced with a 3-1 win on aggregate. Roma played Sevilla on Thursday. Sevilla absolutely dominated this match. Sergio Reguillon opened the scoring in the 22nd minute after a piercing run through the Roma back line. Paul Lopez needed to make that save, though I don't think it would have made a difference in the end. Yusuf and Nezri doubled Sevilla's lead just before the break. Lucas Ocampos did really well to get past Roger Ibanez's slide tackle on the right wing. He easily could have gone to ground, but instead he stayed on his feet and picked out N. Nezri in front of the goal. This one finished 2-0, but that score does not reflect how this match went. Jules Kunda smashed a header off the bar in the first half, and Ever Banega's free kick hit the bar in the second half. Kunda also had a goal disallowed in the second half for offside. At the very end of the match, Gianluca Mancini took out his frustration on Luke de Jong, and after a VAR review, he was shown a straight red. Rounding out the round of 16, Leverkusen shut out Rangers 1-0, so they advanced with a 2-1 aggregate win. Basel beat Eintracht Frankfurt 1-0, so they advanced with a 4-0 aggregate win. And Wolverhampton beat Olympiacos 1-0, so they advance with a 2-1 aggregate win. So the quarterfinals of the Europa League are now set. Inter are now the only Italian team remaining and they will play against Bayer Leverkusen. The marquee match of the round will be Wolves against Sevilla. Manchester United play FC Copenhagen and Shakhtar play Basel. That will do for the news in part 2 of preview Saturday's match against Barcelona. Oh,
Okay, so next we'll preview Napoli's match on Saturday against Barcelona. Before I get to Barcelona's recent form, I'll do a quick recap of the first leg, which was really entertaining and had a number of different storylines. To refresh my memory, I went back to an article I wrote for World Football Index back in March. I'll share a link to that after this episode posts. The first leg was a highly anticipated match, touted as Messi's first visit to the stadium that Maradona built. That match was the first time we got to see Gattinaccio in action. Napoli's game plan was to defend and counterattack, and they did so with great effect. When Barcelona had possession, all 10 outfield players were behind the ball, playing and moving as one cohesive unit. That zone defense and rigid structure was very difficult to penetrate and forced Barcelona to attempt passes over the top, which often landed comfortably in David Ospina's hands. Even though Barcelona dominated possession, Napoli looked dangerous in the attack. Dries Merton scored a beautiful goal, bending his shot around an outstretched Ter Stegen, and that was Merton's 121st goal for Napoli, which tied him with Matic Hamsik as the top scorer in the history of the club. After that goal, Mertens did the now infamous goal celebration, dancing with his tongue out, which was an ode to his friend and club staffer Tomaso Starace. However, Barcelona did eventually break through that wall in the back. Antoine Griezmann finished a really nice play by Barcelona. Napoli did have a few excellent opportunities after that, but they were not able to find the back of the goal, which really changes the complexion of the second leg. We'll get to tactics in a second, but had Napoli scored a second and won 2-1, then I think we would see a very similar approach in the second leg that we saw from Napoli in the first leg, just like we saw against Inter in the second leg of the Coppa Italia. Instead, Napoli will have to play more positively because they need to score in the second leg. So that was the first leg. Napoli played one match after that and Barcelona played two matches after that before all of football was shut down due to coronavirus. So that brings us to Barcelona's current form. If you're listening to this podcast, I assume you're familiar with Napoli's current form, but for those who are not, Napoli were one of the better sides in Serie A after the restart. They finished among the top of the post-COVID table and Gattuso managed to minimize injuries by taking advantage of his squad depth often making six or seven changes to his squad from match to match. Napoli did drop points at the end of the season though, largely because they struggled to score, and that in part was because Dries Mertens missed a few matches due to injury. Barcelona had a record of seven wins, three draws, and one loss after the restart. That's a pretty good record, but it doesn't really reflect how Barcelona played in the home stretch. It certainly wasn't good enough to win La Liga with how well Real Madrid played after the restart, They won every single match after the restart except for the final match of the season, which they drew, but at that point, Real Madrid had already won the league. Barcelona's sole loss after the restart was their first loss of the season at Camp Nou, which up until that point had been an impenetrable fortress. Barcelona's biggest flaw this campaign has been squad depth. Because of suspensions and injuries, they actually played their final match of the season with only five substitutes, two of which were goalkeepers but they still managed to win that match 5-0. Like we saw with Lazio and Serie the combination of poor squad depth and a condensed schedule cost Barcelona some points. Despite their firepower with Messi, Suarez, and Griezmann, and despite that 5-0 win, Barcelona did struggle to score goals at the end of the season. Heading into this Champions League fixture, squad depth remains an issue, so let's talk about our projected starting lineups. According to Mundo Deportivo, Kike Setien may switch to a 3-5-2 formation. Barcelona typically line up in either a 4-3-3 or 4-3-1-2, but he has tried the 3-5-2 before, albeit with limited success. 
Setien used it against Ibiza in the Copa del Rey. Barcelona won that match 2-1, but just barely. Ibiza, who plays in the Spanish 3rd Division, scored in the 9th minute. Barcelona equalized in the 72nd minute and didn't score the winner until the 94th minute. The second time Setien used it was Barcelona's following match in La Liga against Valencia, which was a 2-0 loss. So the formation really hasn't worked well for Setien, and for that reason, I don't expect him to go back to it. I think he will stick with the 4-3-3 with Marc-Andre Ter Stegen in goal. Jordi Alba will likely start at left-back over Junior Firpo. Setien has rotated between Nelson Semedo and Sergi Roberto at right-back, but will go with Semedo to get the start. Gerard Piquet and Clement Lenglet will start at centre-back as Samuel Untiti has been battling injuries all year and he's currently out with a knee problem. The midfield is where Barcelona are very thin. Sergio Busquets is suspended for this match after picking up a yellow card in the first leg. Arturo Vidal is also suspended after a red card in the first leg, and Artur and Barcelona seem to have gone their separate ways since their deal with Juventus. Frankie de Jong missed seven matches with a muscle injury before making two appearances off the bench to end the season. For that reason, I'm going to go with Ivan Rakitic to start in the middle of the midfield. I think Sergi Roberto will play on the right side, which is the reason I think Semedo starts at right back. And I think Ricky Puj will start at left mid, but both Roberto and Puj are flexible, so it is possible they switch sides. Finally, up top, I think Antoine Griezmann will start on the bench. He missed the final two matches of the season, so I don't think he's quite fit yet. This is, in fact, why I think Barcelona will play a 4-3-3 instead of a 4-3-1-2. Guzman Dembele has been out all year with a hamstring injury, so Barca are somewhat depleted up top as well. With that, I think we'll see Luis Suarez start at striker with Messi on his right, and Ansu Fati on his left, which is still an exceptional top three. I wouldn't be shocked to see Setien replace Ansu Fati with Griezmann at some point, and at that point switch to the 4-3-1-2, with Messi dropping to the Trequartista behind Suarez and Griezmann. Suarez scored five goals in the final seven matches of the season. He didn't play in the first leg after having a knee surgery that would have ended his season, but because of the three-month break, he had time to recover. Messi completes the attack. After missing a few matches at the start of the season, Messi has played the full 90 in every match since week 8, including after the restart when matches were played every 3-5 to five days. His 25 goals in La Liga were his lowest tally since the 2008-2009 campaign. That was the season he exploded onto the scene, winning Barcelona's first of three Champions League titles in a 7-year period. Only three players remain in the squad from then, Gerard Piquet, Sergio Busquets, and Messi himself. If you have a few minutes, go take a look at that squad because it was absolutely ridiculous. That said, 25 goals was still the most of any player in La Liga. In addition to that, Messi had 21 assists, which was also the most in the league and a career best for him, which to me shows how Messi is evolving as he gets older. He doesn't have the pace he once had, so as a number 10, I think we'll see his goal numbers continue to decline and his assist numbers continue to increase. For Napoli, I expect Gattuso to go back to David Ospina in goal. I'm not sure how much weight to put into it, but Ospina will join Gattuso on Friday for their pre-match conference. Regardless of the conference, though, Gattuso does seem to prefer Ospina in big game situations. At the back, I think three out of the four positions are not really debatable. Mario Rui will start at left back, and Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start at right back, while Kaladu Koulibaly will start as one of the center backs. The one position that has been debated, at least on Twitter, is the other center back position. I think Costas Manolas will get the start for two reasons. First, Napoli need to score first and I think Manolas is more of a goal scoring threat on set pieces than Maksimovic is. And second, Manolas played against Barcelona in the quarterfinals of the 2018 Champions League when he was still with Roma. 
Roma lost the first leg 4-1 at Camp Nou, including Amanolas' own goal, but then they won the return leg 3-0 at the Olympico with Manolas scoring the decisive goal to get Roma to advance. So that's the back line. Moving on to the midfield, most experts seem to think that Diego Deme will get the start, but the way Lobotka has been playing, I really do think this one is a toss-up. The reason I'm leaning towards Deme is because I expect Napoli to be aggressive right out of the gate, and Demis certainly has a more aggressive playing style than Lobotka does. In front of him, Fabian Ruiz and Piotr Zielinski are pretty much guaranteed to start. Up top, Dries Mertens will start at striker. Thankfully, he appears to have recovered from his tailbone injury, because we don't really have a backup striker right now. There was some speculation that Milik would be replaced by Llorente in the 23-man roster, but they were both included. As bad as Malik has been lately, I still think he is more likely to replace Mertens off the bench simply because he has been playing while Llorente really hasn't played any meaningful time since Napoli's 1-0 win over Perugia in the Coppa Italia back in mid-January. At right wing, most people expect Gattuso to start Jose Callejon as this could be his final match in the Azzurri. I personally think Politano will get the start. I love Callejon and everything he's done for this club, which we'll talk about more in part 3. But as of right now, I don't think he is the best option at right wing. Politano seems to be finding his form. He scored twice in Napoli's last five matches. Granted, both of those goals were as a substitute. Also, Gattuso has been very rigid with alternating between Callejon and Politano at right wing since the restart, which would suggest that it's Politano's turn to start. At left wing, Lorenzo Insigne picked up a thigh injury late in the Lazio match. The latest reports suggest that Insigne will be ready to go for Saturday, but I doubt he will be 100%. Based on my understanding of the injury, Insigne will give it a go and probably won't last that long. I'm sure Gattuso will be preparing for this scenario. Chucky Lozano is probably the man who would replace Insigne. Another option would be to move Politano to the left wing and bring on Callejon to play on the right side, and then replace Politano with Lozano later in the match. Okay, so that brings me to the odds. Barcelona are favored to win. Napoli are 4.25 to 1 underdogs, and the draw pays 3.2 to 1. The lead official for this match will be Turkish referee Sunet Sakir. Napoli have two wins, one draw, and three losses in matches that he's officiated, the most recent being the 4-0 win over Genk in this season's group stage. For those who care, his linesmen will be Bahatin Duran and Tariq Ungun. The fourth official is Halil Meler, and on the VAR is Meti Kalkaban and Ali Palabiek. Despite those odds, I really do think that any of these three outcomes can happen. Like I said, I think Napoli will be aggressive from the opening kickoff and put Barcelona on their back heels to get that early goal. That can go either way. Napoli could succeed, score that early goal, and take the lead on aggregate. Alternatively, by playing aggressively, the field will be more open and Napoli could expose themselves on the counterattack to two lethal goal scorers in Leo Messi and Luis Suarez. If that happens, the match will really open up because Napoli would need to score twice at that point. I think from what we've seen in Napoli's final matches in Serie A is that this team is more than capable of controlling play. That is certainly helped by the fact that Barcelona will be playing their second team midfield. What's interesting to me is I actually think Barcelona will also be looking to score early because they know they don't have any depth, so as this match goes on, Barcelona are going to tire. As I understand it, Barcelona will have, I believe, eight reserve players in the lineup, so the quality will definitely go down if they need to resort to the bench. Meanwhile, even if Napoli have to replace Insigne early in the match, they have plenty of options off the bench that provide fresh legs without necessarily sacrificing quality. We have Callejon or Politano, depending on who gets the start. Lobotka can replace Demme again without sacrificing quality, although he does provide a different skill set. 
I have no problems with Elmas replacing Zielinski or even Fabian if he's having an off day. And if we need to score late in the match, we could replace a midfielder with a fourth attacking player in Milik, which is something we saw Gattuso do in his early days with Napoli. So given all of that, I'm going to make a crazy pick and take Napoli to win this match 2-1, which may seem like a pick from my heart, but I think if there was ever a time to beat Barcelona in the Champions League at Camp Nou, this is it. I know they're hard to beat at home, but the stadium will be empty and if Osasuna can do it, then why can't we? And I know they have more playing experience in the Champions League, but again, with an empty stadium, I don't know how valuable that experience is. Neither of these sides have played a Champions League elimination match in an empty stadium. Barcelona may have more experience on the field, but they don't off of it. Setien has never coached in the Champions League other than the first leg, and as a player, he only reached as far as the second round of the UEFA Cup with Atletico Madrid in 1986. Meanwhile, like Setien, Gattuso has only coached one match, which was the first leg in the Champions League, but as a player, he played 79 Champions League matches, not including qualifying rounds. He reached the final three times, winning twice, and in addition to that, he reached the semifinals once, where ironically he was eliminated by Barcelona. As Manolas said in his interview, Napoli will need to take measures immediately, stay calm, and listen to Gattuso. So that's our preview of Napoli vs Barcelona. In part 3, we'll do a player profile on Jose Callejon. In the final part of the podcast, we thought it would be a good time to profile Jose Maria Callejon, who in all likelihood played his final Serie A match with Napoli last weekend. So Callejon was born on February 11, 1987 in Montreal, Granada, Andalusia. His father was a semi-professional footballer who reached the mid-levels of Spanish football. He has a twin brother, Juan Miguel Callejon, who is also a professional footballer but hasn't reached the heights of his brother Jose. Juan Mi, not to be confused with the winger at Real Betis, has played mostly in the second and third divisions of Spanish football, and currently plays for Marbella FC. Jose married his wife Marta Ponsati in 2015, and they have two girls named India and Aria. Callejon is a product of Real Madrid's youth system, where he moved through the system alongside players like Alvaro Arbeloa, Iker Casillas, Sergio Ramos, and Esteban Granero. In the summer of 2007, he was promoted from Real Madrid C to Real Madrid Castilla, which is their reserve squad. He only made 5 appearances in his first season with Castilla, but became a regular starter the following season where he flourished, scoring 21 goals. At the end of that season, he left Real Madrid and signed a 4-year contract with Espanyol. Callejon made his debut on September 20, 2008 as a late sub against Hetafe. He scored his first goal in La Liga on March 15, 2009 in a 3-3 draw against Mallorca. Callejon would go on to score 12 goals in 106 appearances in all competitions for Espanyol. In an interview with Real Madrid TV, Callejon was asked if he thought he would return to Real Madrid when he left. 
No, si te digo la verdad, no. Pensaba que, que me iba a estar mucho en el No, I didn't think I would come back. I thought I would play for Espanol for a very long time. It's a real family club and they've always treated me incredibly well. I was happy there and always had the support of the fans, my teammates and the whole managerial staff. When the opportunity arose to come and play for Real Madrid, the biggest club in the world, I knew I couldn't say no. After three seasons with Espanyol, Callejón returned to Madrid for the 2011-2012 campaign. Callejón scored his first goal for Real Madrid's senior team on October 2, 2011 in a 4-0 win over his former club, Espanyol. He came into this match as a substitute and received a warm welcome from the Espanyol supporters at the RCDE Stadium. Being the class act that he is, he did not celebrate the goal and actually put his hands together as if to say thank you to the Espanyol fans. Callejón spent two seasons with Real Madrid, amassing 20 goals and 77 appearances across all competitions. I really enjoyed that interview with Real Madrid TV, particularly because the discussion focused more on who Callejón is as a person. It was all about his youth, his family and friends, and how life is different as a professional footballer. In the interview, Callejón was asked if his father gave him much advice on life or football. For my father, the best advice he has given me is that very humble and respectful. The best advice my father gave me was to always be humble, to show respect in life and football, and in matches you are only as good as your last performance. You always have to give your best whether it is in training or in a game, and never give up or become disillusioned. If you work hard day to day, you will be awarded in the future. In addition to being hardworking, you can see from this interview alone that Callejón is very humble. He talks about being grateful for the opportunities he's been afforded, and he's very loyal. While he now has friends who are professional footballers like Xavi, Raul, and Roberto Carlos, he is still very close to his friends before he became a professional footballer, and they don't let his profession interfere with that. I thought that was pretty cool because we all know that Callejón is humble, hardworking, and loyal from his time at Napoli, but this interview was done in 2011, well before he joined Napoli, so he really is true to himself. Speaking of Napoli, Callejón was purchased by the Partenope in the summer of 2013 for 10 million euros. He was the first of three Real Madrid players Napoli acquired that summer for new coach Rafa Benitez, the other two being Raul Albiol and Gonzalo Higuain. Callejón didn't take long to start scoring for Napoli. That was Callejón scoring in Napoli's first Serie A match of the 2013-2014 campaign in a 3-0 win over Bologna. Later that season, Napoli beat Fiorentina 3-1 in the final of the Coppa Italia. Callejón assisted Dries Mertens on the third goal to seal the win and was the top scorer in the competition. Though Callejón was already loved by Napoli Tifosi, he proved in November 2016 that he is one of us, uno di noi. When he was asked in an interview by Onda Cero about Gonzalo Higuain, he said before he left Napoli he was alright, then he chose Juve and obviously the fans are not able to accept this. Neapolitans want honest and noble players to wear the blue shirt. The following year, Callejón did a video Q&A with his former Real Madrid teammate Raúl Albiol. These Q&A videos were pretty common back then. One of the questions he was asked was, what was the most exciting Napoli match for you? 
Eh, ci sono alcune, ad esempio eh, la finale Coppa Italia, eh, la finale di super, Supercoppa contro la Juventus. There are a few. The final of the Coppa Italia, the final of the Supercoppa against Juventus. Also for me personally, this year going back to Real. It was like going back home because I played there as a child and also for Real for two years. We had a great game and I think everyone enjoyed it. E penso che eh, qui al ritorno anche noi abbiamo passato il turno, però abbiamo fatto una grandissima partita e penso che anche i tifosi si sono divertiti tutti. Callejon ha gone on to make 347 appearances for Napoli in all competitions, which is fifth all time, though he will likely drop to seventh all time as Lorenzo Insigne has also made 347 appearances and Dries Mertens, who just renewed, has 320 appearances. During that time, Callejon has scored 64 goals in Serie A and 82 in all competitions, which is 11th all-time for Napoli. So many of those goals were from runs to the back post, which became a trademark for him. Few players can volley a pass coming across his body as well and as accurately as Callejon does. However, my favorite goal is the one he scored in the group stage of the Europa League against FC Mitteland in 2015. Koulibaly played a long ball over the top for Callejon and he managed to volley a lob over the keeper and into the back of the goal. I'll see if I can post a video of that on Twitter after we release this episode. Unfortunately, Callejon's numbers have declined over the last few seasons. He only scored four goals in all competitions in each of the last two campaigns and his time with Napoli does appear to be coming to an end. Callejon's contract expired in June 2020 but he extended it until the end of August so that he could remain with the club until the end of the Champions League. Remarkably, he chose not to take any pay during the extension. The club is only covering his insurance, which again says a lot about his character and how much Napoli means to him. While I do think now is the right time for him to move on, he will be missed dearly, and I think I speak on behalf of all Napoli tifosi when I say that Jose Maria Callejon will always be uno di noi. So that's going to do it for episode 33. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends. And if you could take a moment to leave us a review and a comment, we'd really appreciate that. As always, if you have any questions or if you'd like me to cover anything in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5, or you can find the podcast at Pod. We'll talk to you again early next week to review the Champions League match against Barcelona. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre. Fuglie, e 
de corre a pie, eso nunca destruye su laguna. Network.